Today's show is sponsored by M1 Finance. M1 Finance is one of my favorite investment tools because it's free. It allows you to purchase partial shares of stock, so you can buy Amazon with $3 instead of $3,000, for example, and it allows you to do automatic rebalancing. With M1, you can essentially create your own robo-advisor and cut out all of the fees by selecting a set of low-cost index funds, setting your target percentage allocations for each fund, and turning on automatic rebalancing. If you set up auto deposits to the account each week, M1 will automatically weight the purchase of each fund back towards your targets. Plus, M1 is set up to help investors think long-term rather than fostering a trading mentality that you see with other apps. I have used M1 myself for many years and have no plans of stopping. One thing I have really appreciated is that when I transfer funds to M1, they are available to purchase the very next day, compared with Robinhood, which takes like five days. M1 is definitely unique, and I love its features. There are plenty more I didn't even touch on, like the ability to create a portfolio line of credit at super low rates on up to 35% of your account balance, and earn cash back with your own M1 checking account. To use this tool, simply click the link in the show notes of this episode or go to businessandinvesting.com forward slash M1. Doing so will help support the show and we would greatly appreciate it. Now let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the Business and Investing Sherpa Podcast where we'll teach you how to build an automated, scalable, multi-million dollar e-commerce business just like we did. Plus, we'll teach you how to invest the profits to reach financial independence and a whole lot more. We're not interested in retiring early though, but rather building a life we never want to retire from. Hello. Hey, Jacob, what's up? What's going on, Daniel? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Welcome to the Business and Investing Sherpa podcast. Good to be back again. Yeah. Always a, always a good good time for a chat. Yeah, man, I'm sitting at a coffee shop and it is snowing like crazy. Yeah, I'm at my house and it's it's pretty crazy um, here as well. It looks like we got another three inches from we got from what we got um, back on Sunday when we got three or four inches then. I guess we do both live in the same city, huh? Same neighborhood. <laughs> down the street from each other that is pretty crazy well yeah. hey thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your day to have a chat and jump on a call um today just wanted to talk through our experience with single family properties yeah so that that's a there's a whole lot of whole lot in those couple words there but we'll, we'll just have a have a little conversation and hopefully it'll provide a lot of value both to ourselves and to our listeners definitely definitely well yeah i guess it's been now oh a couple of years we've been investing in real estate and in about oh i don't know what a year and a half maybe two years that we've had properties here in our own city yeah 
Yeah, I think I bought my first one probably a year or two before that. That's uh, true. But, but yeah, as a group, we started buying. Yeah, it's been over a year because we've had some tenants come in or to leave. Um, so, right, and they have yeah, a probably year at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably a good spot to start. Is your for a good case study is probably your house that you have on your own, and that's kind of what got us into thinking about purchasing uh, single family homes together as an investment opportunity. Yeah. So I bought a house. I did the traditional 20% down my, it was funny because I was trying so hard to find a deal, um, find a, a rental property I wanted to buy. And my wife found the property. So she, <laughs> who was not looking, she knew I was, but she wasn't looking for anything. And she had a friend that was moving and was planning to sell her house. And it happened to be in a good suburb and good school district and a good, it it met the 1% rule um, and it was in good shape. And so ended up being able to put that under contract before it hit the market at a little better price than maybe they would have got on the market because I used the same realtor. Her sister was actually the realtor and I used her as my realtor, which meant I could pretty easily justify a 3% discount right there um, because of the commission. She was at double commission. So that, and then just the ease, that whole process was really pretty easy, pretty fast. Um, the property, I bought it for 125000 mm-hmm. and I, looking at Zillow um, and what was around there, kind of identified that I thought I could rent it out for about 1250 a month, which was 1% of the purchase price. Um, looking back, the rate was probably a little over 5 back then, the interest rate. Mm-hmm. And that's partly because when you buy a property that's a rental and not your primary residence, it adds typically what I've seen. It seems like another percent um, to the mortgage just because it's not your primary residence. The bank wants to take a little more risk off the table, and so they give you a little a bump on the interest rate. Right. But, but yeah, that, that wouldn't – I mean, my experience there, the property was nice. The location was decent. Uh, the neighborhood's not the best, but it's it's not that bad, and the suburb is really nice. And um, it was a three-two, about twelve hundred square feet. And so the, I I liked that it was uh, about the cheapest three-bed, two-bath you could have in this suburb, mm-hmm. and that was appealing, um, just because I felt like future if since the schools are good, if people want to move in to the city for the schools, then I would be able to offer the best price to do that. And so kind of right. seemed, that seemed nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, it seemed like it was a, a really good win and a couple of big factors that stuck out, stuck out to me when we were talking about it. Um, were definitely the, the inside connection on the property. You already had a chance to know, the owner before you bought it and then mm-hmm. yeah be able to use the same realtor because you guys still the realtor still made six percent but did you get a three percent bump 
down or kind of justified a 3% drop in the purchase price or the realtor actually only takes 3% yeah. of, of the fee, realtor fee. I just offered. You kind of took that into consideration and you said, okay. I think they were saying, hey, 130 mm -hmm. is what we want to for. And I was like, well, how about I use you and um, I'll offer I'll 129. 49, and I pretty good, right? Anyway, and so something uh -huh. like that. Or maybe I even bought it for 120. I, I think it was 125, uh -huh. actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that first, so yeah, I found, I had a tenant want to move in within like the first weekend of owning the house. He decided um, to self-manage instead of using property management. He said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to self-manage it off the start. I did. Yeah. The things I had to do there was like, I had a, I went and bought like a washer and dryer and installed that because the house didn't have it. And I had a friend that does cleaning, clean the, clean it, um, that sort of thing. And I, I had to, yeah, create the listing and I was ambitious because it was my first one and I was excited about it. And, um, so I met up with tenants, potential ones and showed the property and then met up with them over the weekend because they wanted to move in so bad that, um, I think they just had like a trailer at like an apartment right. or, or hotel and they were worried they had like a, you know, moving van and they were staying at a mm -hmm. hotel until they find a place. And so they were kind of worried about it getting broken into and they were from, um, out in Colorado and were just wanted somewhere to, to get in quick. And so that worked out pretty well. They stayed on for a year. I had maybe like one or two things i think the disposal went out so i'd say the total costs were only a couple hundred maybe 400 um during the year so that one it worked out real well um that first year and and then they went month to month and we had in the lease another 10 percent bump which was great as far as the rent goes um, but after that i think one of the lessons learned uh don't know how to avoid um but they moved out more in winter and i've always been a little concerned about how to handle that because we were making more when they were month to month um but when you move out in winter you it's harder to fill the property so it did sit vacant and i was not as excited and ambitious about trying to get it filled and so i ended up deciding at that point to put it under property management and see if they could get it filled and thankfully they did within once I did that, maybe a month or two, they got it filled, but I had to take uh, probably 1100 on the rent. So it took a little bit less on rent and then paid property management. But at that point, they took over on handling all that. So yeah, it's been the same, yeah. same tenant since, right? Those tenants are still there? Yeah, yeah, supposedly. Um, <laughs> I, I drove by not too long ago that uh -oh. house and really looked fine, but oh, saw a guy smoking. Um, but Thankfully, he he was out in the garage sitting on in a chair, um, so that was good. But um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my story there. I'd say the cash flow, the cash flow was when I first started was about five hundred a month, excluding everything, right. <laughs> but not really taking into account any um, potential maintenance. And there's no property management on it at the time, and then now. With the property management, mm -hmm. uh, it's probably more down to like three fifty 
300. Um, I'd have to look again back at the spreadsheets, but just as a quick aside, the way we like to analyze our, the cash flow is using PITI. Mm-hmm. And we have an acronym mm-hmm. that we like, 8885. Yep. And so you got principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, which is the PITI. And then the 8885 is 8%. So these are all just rules of thumb estimates that we've kind of created. 8% um, maintenance for the year, which is basically one month expense. Um, so if the property is like 1200 bucks a month, then we kind of set aside another 1200 in maintenance. Um, Which would be one month's rent. Yeah, one year. month's rent. Yeah, so there's yeah. there's eight there and then triple eight. So eight for property management. Right. Um, Which is pretty standard yeah. in our area, but that's subject yeah. to change across the U.S., but pretty standard, yeah. eight to 10%. And- is pretty normal but then if you have a couple properties it seems like they'll bump it down to eight so that's what we did they bumped it down to eight for having a few properties with them mm-hmm. and let's see eight eight and then one more eight and then the five i know the five is for long-term capex so capital expenditures and these are these are not your normal maintenance um these are your roofs your hvacs those, those water heater big stuff kind of, yeah, I yeah the, bigger i think the last i'm sorry daniel i think the last eight percent had to do if you had one month vacant yep, per year that's it so accounting for a month of vacancy so yeah we try to we have a spreadsheet that analyzes all of these things and um yeah so Triple eight five. That's kind of our our standard. So yeah, jumping into our properties that we did as a group, um, me, you, and Logan. Right. What? So off the start, Jacob was like, <laughs> "Man, I I don't want to do this that bad. <laughs> These properties are big time liabilities. Like they just seem like old. Yeah. Let me, things that are yeah I had, that are dying. I had a couple thoughts there. So yeah, you know I'm. I would say in some ways can see, I see houses as maybe more liabilities and assets a lot of times, because to me, when I even walk around my own house, very functioning, high quality house, but I just see all the little fixes that need to happen all the time. And so I think about these homes that we're buying that are rentals and think, okay, if there's all these little fixes in my home, that's well taken care of what happens when renters are in there and they could care less other than getting there and security deposit back. They're just living in the house, paying rent, and it's just a roof over their head. So then a lot of times it seems like, um, you know, things aren't as well taken care of and therefore things break. Um, And I just see rental homes as liabilities and especially off the start, but Daniel had a really good experience on that that first home that he had bought. And I was like, well, I'm willing to try anything once at least, maybe twice. And so that leads into um, an opportunity. We met a couple of guys um, that were in the, in basically the, the rehab market where they were buying properties from wholesalers um, and then doing, doing make readies or improvements and in homes 
um, quality, bring up some quality. Um, and then um, basically we, we went to them. They said, hey, here's the purchase price of the house plus the cost of the improvements. So I think what was, maybe we spent, um, it was less than 100000 I think, on maybe our first house. I might be off. And one, I thought it was ninety five even on our first house and then another ten or $12,000 of improvements. Um, and then basically doing a cash out refi um, for the completed value of the house, the, the improved value. Um, and at least I think our, um, one of the two, maybe not the first one, but the second one, we were able to take out quite a bit more than even what we had put in. So we cashed out at a higher value. So there's a lot there. So let's kind of unpack that. Raised value came out pretty high, and then when we did like an eighty-five percent loan to value, that that amount of cash back on the refi was quite a bit more. Yeah, I'd say fifteen thousand more than our total cost mm-hmm. in. So we decided to go ahead and take that to use as cash reserves or to invest in other ventures. And I'd say we probably ended up investing that in other <laughs> ventures. Yeah, we definitely we definitely uh, didn't hold on to it as. What the uh, hard money? I think that probably worked its way into some of the hard money loans we did on real estate, which we'll talk. We'll we'll do another discussion on those because that's those have been pretty interesting, and I think we've kind of had a better experience with those in general. But so, how has our experience been with these in general? Or yeah, you were kind of talking about how we got into them, the guys we found that we met with. Right. Yeah. Um, so we met these, these two, two guys, um, and the experience was, was pretty good. They, we got connected with them actually through an out of state real estate investor, um, mm-hmm. that we were kind of following, um, gal's name was Jennifer Beals, um, and following her story and she was getting into the, to the market of out of state real estate investments. And so she had found individuals like the guys that we um, were connected with that would um, basically work with wholesalers, find properties, and then where they, they themselves were willing to be kind of general contractors on rehab. Um, and so they would rehab the property at a, uh, oh, a, a mediocre quality rehab, just get it rent ready. Um, and then yeah. they're willing to make their money on kind of the wholesale side, the purchase price of the house and do the, the construction at cost for investors. Um, and so they were kind of a one-stop shop, which was what we were looking for because you and I and Logan were not, uh, we were not savvy uh, real estate investors to the point that we had contacts to be able to buy a distressed property and then do the rehab ourselves. Um, yeah, definitely. so so that was kind of the, uh, oh, I would say, the process, at least initially. Yeah. Overall, I'd say that that whole process was was pretty smooth. Uh, working with them, we were able to find find a a property that really we probably got it at a good price because um, we're looking to sell it soon, and our the realtor we're looking working with and what we're seeing on comps appears that we might turn a nice $15,000 profit or more. And so we definitely got it at a good price. Um, the 
the rehab. I think one thing that's really tough with rentals mm. um, is being in the middle of the spectrum. It's it's hard to know. So here's my thought. You were talking about walking around your house and having there's always like little things that aren't perfect. But with a rental, like the, it's hard to know what needs to be mm-hmm. what in order to justify the rent that they're paying. Um, and so you kind of have this whole spectrum of, yes, you can always be proving things, but what, what do you, how much do, what do you do? How do you do it in order to, to still have those rent coming in and still be a good landlord. And so there's some, there's a lot of gray area on how to manage a property profitably and effectively it's almost like it'd be nice if you're just at the very luxury scale where you know hey the we're always supposed to have this good and they're always going to pay us the most possible for that <laughs> but being in the middle or just anywhere it, that is a really it's tough, tough it's, the, the teeter-totter yeah you're constantly balancing quality with cost like you want to provide a quality product to your tenants and you yeah. know that hey the more quality um, product I'm providing tenants to rent, you have a greater likelihood of securing a higher rent value and hopefully in, in turn, hopefully a more quality tenant as well. The other side of that coin right. is, which we found is, okay, let's, you know, hey, let's find a, a property. We'll fix it up really well. We'll rent it out at, in this area at, you know, 1200 bucks a month. Well, this area might not support 1200 bucks a month in a rent. It might make more sense for those people to, you know, go somewhere else. So you're, you have to do a really good job. And I think you did this well, Daniel, of doing your market research and seeing, you know, look at your all-in costs, use the 1% rule off the start and see, hey, will I even be able to rent this at that rate based on my, my 1% rule? Um, yeah. I, I feel like we did not get the rents we were hoping for and the rents that we were kind of told Mm -hmm. we might be able to get um and it somewhat made sense but i mean we were getting tons of calls that like yeah like i want to i'll do it for 900 but we wanted 1200 and and really looking around it it probably wasn't necessarily able to support 1200 um one of the insights there might have been if we'd been section Mm -hmm. nine section eight there's a Section eight, yeah, that's right. right. (laughs) There's a chance that we would have been able to get the rents we were hoping because of the state mandated programs. Where hey, this is a four bed. Well, the state will jump in and say we'll pay this much for this size house anyway. And then, so I I do wonder um, what our experience would have been like going section eight. But you just hear so many things on both sides um listening to different guys like on bigger pockets hearing i remember one of the hosts says like he did section eight for a bit and he'll never do it again and so but then the guys we work with have several hundred properties and they're on section eight and on a majority and they're like yeah we love it um, right. so it's easy mailbox it's money the, the rent comes in keeps no matter what it, and we're able to know it comes in no matter right. what. And the big thing with Section 8 is once you get approved, see, that's the hard part is the approval process yeah. is more difficult. You basically have the equivalent of a yeah. home inspector on a home purchase or sale 
but a Section 8 inspector come in and have to look at the house and make sure that your house passes all the Section 8 um, criteria and checks all the boxes. Um, and we just didn't have the expertise to do that. And it is a process. And it, even if you do everything right, um, it sounds like it can take a long time or it can go really fast. It's kind of who you know. And um, if you get lucky or not on your Section 8 inspector. Yeah, they... Yeah, they basically said they have to do the inspection right. multiple times to get it. So we were usually. we weren't ready to do that, but so. like Daniel was saying, the benefits are um, the Section Eight um, program on the tenant side. I guess is very uh, it's sought after uh, because it's it's reduced price and housing, and once you get in, you don't want to get out. And so the idea is these tenants they get into a good property, they're going to pay a um, um, a reduced cost um, to be in that house um, or apartment, I guess, but they get the reduced cost for their for their place of residence. And then they want to pay the rent because if they get kicked out, it makes it really hard for them to get back into that affordable housing, that Section 8 program again. So um, apparently, and, you know, we haven't gone through it ourselves, but apparently the money is very consistent um, and the tenants I, seemingly do a good job paying their rent. Now, I don't know. Yeah, the quality of the tenant. Obviously, there's a reason they're in the Section 8 program. Mm -hmm. There might not be any um, negligence of their own, but they are, um, they have met the criteria to be in the Section 8 program. So uh, those, those are the tenants yeah. that you're getting. And so. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, hey, let's have a quick discussion. Let's talk about why. So, kind of the the end story here the disclosure a little bit we we got these properties for free using the burr method and there's a podcast that will have come out before this describing that and detailing it out um but why so we are planning to sell these properties at least the first one now to see how that goes and then we don't know exactly what we'll do on the others, but um, we're, we have one that we're about to list. And so let's just recap, have a little discussion. Why, what kind of drove us to, to this spot where we've only been in one year and we have actually decided yeah. to list well, I think this property. You know, it's twofold. And there's probably been more than two sides to the coin, um, which might yeah. ruin that, uh, that symbolism. But anyways, two sides of the coin. I would say one is um, our own conditions the uh, the local conditions of the situation there with us and the process we've gone through with our management and the other side is the market conditions right now um so maybe i'll touch on yeah. the, the conditions of the property and then you can touch on the market conditions um but but the current so we've we've been in this property and um, great little house like daniel said we got it for free with the burr method so there's no cost down to us and um, that does put us in a spot where um, we're paying per month. Obviously, we still have PITI, um, 8885. Um, we had gone from, we initially, like Daniel did with his house in Edmond, we initially uh, were self-managing and then went to a, using a property management company. And it seemingly went okay um, until our first... And why did you be switched there? So, why do you, yeah, definitely. What's your yeah kind of feel on the take? What led to that? So How did we end up doing that? There's three owners, like we mentioned at the start of the call, you know, Daniel, Logan, and myself. And so it became difficult to, um, when, when issues arose, you know, the sink breaks, 
hey, we've got, you know, issues with our, um, with our kitchen faucet. Um, it was us either going and fixing it ourselves. I went down a couple times to fix things myself. Or it was, hey, let's find someone. Let's hire a handyman to get down there um, and look at this property. And so, you know, we've all got other stuff going on. Um, it was just a lot of coordination mm-hmm. and work. Or maybe a little bit easier when Daniel owns his, had his own property and he can make all the decisions himself and not have to have any type of um, conversations with someone else. But when there's three separate owners, we're trying to coordinate well. It just became um, difficult to do that. Um, and so we just went to the method of property management. And that that eased some of the burden. Um, but what resulted was, um, in our opinions, it, it seemed like the property management didn't do their um, their jobs as effectively as they could have, um, maybe burn, the, burn some bridges with the tenants. Um, and it resulted, I think, in um, some negative circumstances to the whole situation. So we've decided, you know what, at this point, let's – Let's hold off on bringing a new tenant in um, because of some of those complications. Let's look at um, trying to recoup our our initial investment and potentially make a profit because of Daniel's point right now about what's going on in the market in 2020. Yeah. So we're sitting here. This is still in the midst of coronavirus towards hopefully getting a vaccine. Actually, the first patients have been vaccinated yes, as of I like yesterday. That. I saw that. We so, had some nurses in Oklahoma City get vaccinated. That is awesome. Um, but the housing market has actually held up extremely well. Um, there was a period of time for a couple months where no one was really buying or selling um, because everyone was kind of locked down. And so that created a little bit of pent-up demand where people were not able to buy that needed to and so once they were kind of able to get out there and start buying they were they were going after um, houses which drove prices up Um, and from some of the housing experts we listened to uh, they're saying that they expect the housing market to have a bit of a boom over the next five years potentially even ten just by demographics alone, there's enough millennials coming into buying age that, and there the housing supply uh, material cost is has gone up, and to the point where the many the home manufacturers are not making houses. Um, they're going to make them at a pace that's most profitable for them. They're not going to just make them to meet the demand if there's no profit by doing that. So it kind of looks like there will likely be a several year boom, um, which could could mean that we should hold on to these um, rather than selling them. But we aren't mostly because of personal situations. Um, I'm planning to move and we're for a little while and we're going to be working. All right, Jacob's yeah. I'm working. Got his things going. Uh-huh. He's got his things and Jacob's full-time engineer. And so just uh, makes it tr- – overall, I'd say the, the biggest reason is it's not passive. That's probably the biggest reason. We, we have better options. Uh, go back and listen to episode two on why we love investing in REITs more than real estate, and you'll get a great sense of why 
we are selling because really it just came down to not being passive. But in general, in the market, yeah, the market is hot. The housing prices have gone up and it looks like we'll get 15 to 20,000 in profit potentially um, on these homes when we sell them. And so it kind of mostly it's for the passivity part and otherwise it's also makes it's kind of a nice bonus that we can actually get out and potentially turn a nice little profit. But that's kind of my take. Um, yeah. Yeah. With the, with the property management, it just ended up being still a lot mm-hmm. of issues. Really. I don't, it doesn't really feel to me like the number of issues dropped. I think that the ease of dealing with them dropped a little bit. Like Jacob didn't have to go. Cause there were still several things that came up that, they did uh, that we would have had to do or figure out but one of the other big ones with property management was i still don't know it's hard to know what to think about this um, but it, it feels like they're charging us more on these repairs than they should be and it's hard to know like we had a make ready so a tenant moved out of this first one and they they, they gave us a list of everything that needed to be done to repair it. And the co- they gave us the quote and it was over $4,000 and the, le- the list looks good and legitimate. It's like, yeah, I think all these things need to be done. And, and then it's like, that is a lot of things. And I don't know if I could get them done at a cheaper price. I don't really have a great way to do that. That would take right. a ton of my time. So we agreed but knowing that we were going to sell the house we're like hey let's just let's just agree and get all this stuff done and then sell it and that'll make it easy on us but then (laughs) we get get a video from our realtors like hey uh there's a ton of stuff that looks really bad and doesn't it's not clean there's paint everywhere there all these things it just wasn't done um and so now we're working with the property management to try to either figure out what's going on why you said it's done. It doesn't look done. Can we get a refund? We need to figure out yeah. how to get this ready to sell. So it's continued to be a headache and it's just not passive. Um, even on the, the cash flow side, like, I mean, we were not really, it's not really cash flow positive. And so it's like we got the house for free, but it'll really just be if we held on to it. it for one, it just takes up more time. And I don't think people mm-hmm. take into account their time very well. And over time it would, yeah, we'd have, we have about $300 a month going towards Mm -hmm. the equity uh, from our payments. But it's kind of one of those things like eventually, yeah, it'd be good, but it's more of a, is it worth your time or not? And once we learned um, just how much time it takes it, yeah, it just didn't I mean, seem worth it. I so. think the biggest thing was we, we ran our numbers initially, just P-I-T-I. We did all of our spreadsheets. And then we kind of were like, no, we really haven't taken into account everything. And so we came up with that triple eight five. And once you do that on most properties that even pass the 1% rule, the numbers start getting really tight. Um, and then if you try to account for yeah. any of your own time, at a, some type of even a, even a reasonable like a very reasonable hourly rate, like, you know, 15 bucks or something. I mean, it just, yeah. the numbers get wonky real fast. Um, yeah. If you actually calculate mm-hmm. how much time you're spending 
on the whole process, it's yeah, it, it gets kind of sad quick. Um, which so <laughs> go listen to episode two. Uh, you don't have to deal with most of that. Um, pretty much everything with by investing in REITs because it, our take after all this is that to do real estate investing well, you need to do it as a business. And we were looking for this as a passive income stream. And like with our very first business uh, as a group, that was anticipated <laughs> to be a passive income business. And we quickly found that that needed to be a full-time business. Um, and that's where this was leading and that yeah. this isn't the business we want to be in. So we pivoted and we're trying to get out to, cause to do it well, you need your own, you need internal management. You That's need right. to have your own property management so that you can have control over the costs, make sure you're not getting overcharged. Um, and you can, you just don't want to be giving up margin to do business ex- successfully. You can't be giving up margin everywhere and that's what it would take. And you would need scale and you need expertise, um, quality, right? contacts and relationships. Everything that takes yeah, all business. the things. So and if you're wanting to that, be hundred percent passive, it's just, this is not, this is not the model at least that we've found. Um, yeah. Exactly. This leads me one last point, um, or what, what closing do you call argument. It? Uh, I don't know. I can't even, no, can't even think of it. Uh, there we go. But there we go. Shameless plug. That's what it is. <laughs> so I have made available on business and investing sherpa.com website a monthly report that we are now putting out each month that will go over our current active holdings for both stock and real estate, as well as a list of our top picks for the month and our actual buys and sells that month. So if anyone is interested, we are trying to sound the alarm that from our experience um, and what you just heard, these are the reasons we don't think that single family housing is for everyone, which it seems like everything else you hear is that it is for everyone. Um, We think that it's for those who want to make this a full-time business or those that already are, and they have to have amazing systems and teams. And it's just, it's so easily put out there that this is um, a perfect business for everyone as a side side gig, but I just want to warn people a little bit that um, you're probably not taking into account the full costs of owning a property and your time. And there are better ways to invest um, if you're not going to make this a business. And that's kind of where we are at on this, um, our stance. So you can go to the website on the very bottom left. If you scroll all the way to the bottom on the left side, you'll see where you can sign up for that report. Also, if you go to any page other than the homepage, like the blog post, um, you'll see on the right-hand side an opt-in to get a download a free report, and you can see what that report looks like. But basically, if you want to invest in real estate and get passive income, we recommend REITs. 
because it's easy to learn how to analyze them and they provide passive income that is truly passive and you get all the benefits of the property management, all of that um, professional management without doing anything. And so definitely check that out. Listen to episode two and that's about I all have I have. Any quick, last quick words, words Jacob? Um, on the, on the report, I, yeah. I had the chance to, to review and see it. Um, yeah, I can't, can't praise Daniel enough on the quality of that report. And as of December 2020, when we're recording this, I mean, that report is relatively up to date. Um, incredible. Lots of value. Mm-hmm. And that's for free right now. You can see that report um, as a preview of what's going to be coming out every month. Um, it's a, it's a key for investors um, that are looking for a passive opportunity um, to get into the market and see the way that um, the Sherpa is investing um, and see the, the return potential on a, on a truly uh, much more passive situation. And I'll say a couple of things on REITs specifically. Um, valuations are historically mm. low still, um, more so even than the overall stock market. Yeah. Fundamentals have recovered for the most part um, for a lot of these REITs, even in, yeah. even in the COVID world that we're in, we're going to see that and then come out stronger because of actions that they've taken um, during COVID. That's going to put them in a really good spot um, post-vaccine. Um, and interest rates are now at 0%, which is a huge opportunity and catalyst for these REITs to go out and acquire um, free debt. Um, to grow these, to grow these, um, these companies. So. And then investors looking for yield are when interest rates are that low, they, they're going to be attracted to the dividend yield. Once um, things clear up and the picture gets a little clearer, Um, there's still just a lot of fear with COVID. But I think once we get on the other side of this vaccine, you're going to, see that fear lift and over the next few years we're anticipating um, kind of a rise back to normal price levels um, for a lot of these REITs and so now's a great opportunity great time to be jumping in and we think that over the next year couple years you can have a strong return we're already seeing a turnaround happen I mean our REIT portfolios it was a huge position bunch of positions were up about 30% the day that it was announced that the vaccine was looking effective. Um, the day it came out that said Pfizer and BioNTech had a 95% effective vaccine, they jumped like 30%, but they were already down 60 plus percent. Um, so they have a, a long ways to go. So, yep. Good thoughts, Jacob. Still there. All right. Well, Thanks for jumping in the call and we will see you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're new to the show, I highly recommend you listen to episode one and slowly work your way through all the episodes as the content builds upon itself. Also, if you are getting value from this podcast, please consider supporting the show to encourage us to keep it going. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and review. 
Take care and see you on our next episode.